Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso, and this show is meant to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear by taking it out of the driver's seat, step more fully into the essence of who you are, and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. And today's guest is so much fun. She's one of my new favorite people. Her name is Brittany Brave, and she is a New York City-based comedian who's been featured on TBS, MTV, The New York Times, Elle, and was named a Best New Talent by the New York Comedy Festival in 2019. She's also the founder of We Are Cat Call, a platform for women's leadership, progress, and camaraderie that does female-focused events for all. I wanted to have Brittany on the show because we are really kindred spirits and have a very similar path. We're both Italian Catholic, both only children, both huge champions of fellow women and creatives, and a bunch of other things that you'll hear during the course of the show. Brittany started her professional career in PR and did comedy on the side, but her true passion, comedy, was always calling her. However, it wasn't until she found herself in a situation of domestic violence that she truly started owning her creativity as a way of admitting what was going on and taking charge of her life again. From Brittany, you will truly learn creativity's ability to not only help, but even save someone's life. From our conversation, you'll also learn how to come out, quote-unquote, as a creative at your day job, some weird quirks of Italian culture, the unique and horrifying pressures of being an only child, how to make money as a comedian during the pandemic, tips to pivot your career, plus hear our open dialogue about mental health and some fun talk about dating during the pandemic. Also, I want to give a quick trigger warning. This is a very well-rounded conversation that ranges from serious and deeply emotional to inspiring to rolling on the floor laughing. With that said, it is important to mention that we do go into Brittany's experience as a survivor of domestic violence and how comedy helped her through it. So I just think it's important that you know that. Okay, now here she is, Brittany Brave. Brittany Brave, I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. It literally feels like as if we're hanging out. It's I know. Really I'm so happy because I feel like you are my other half. I've been stalking your tweets. And obviously, we've <laughs> talked before I did your show, We Are Cat Call, on your Instagram Live. And you're just a ray of sunshine and the two-year-younger twin uh, of me. So it feels yeah. good to be in your presence. Thank you. I know we are, we are mirror images completely. Actually have like a shocking amount in common for our families, to our upbringings, to our career paths and everything. And I also love, I appreciate that you say you look at my tweets and you're enjoying what's coming out of my head because I know some people look at them and they're like, you've been doing a, uh, a lot on Twitter. <laughs> like, and I can see they're like, she's unwell. Like, uh, I think Twitter is the best therapy. I, t- I would go like, so I was tweeting the other day and people looking, but I think to me still Twitter is one of my favorite. It's my probably my favorite social media for creativity because you can just say whatever's on your mind. It is a stream of consciousness. And like for a comedian, it's been great. You know, you, it's just everybody just kind of like, it's like creative kernels all the time. And I also feel like- Love a kernel. I love, I love a good kernel. Um, and I, I feel like it's like a millennial and like Gen Z HR department is how I look at it too. It's like where we go. Cause we like, I need to tell someone about this or I need to like share what I feel about this. And then it eventually gets filed away and gets us fired later. So oh. like, it's, it's like, it's our HR department. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we're, we have a lot that we're going to get into today. Some of the things are inspired by your tweets. We want to talk about, I mean, you have an incredible story, and I want to talk about how you got into comedy. You're an incredible comedian. You were in PR for a long time, and then you parlayed. I mean, you had your own business. You're an entrepreneur. You still are, but you were doing Mm -hmm. that as a main thing, and you had to, like, come out as a comedian, basically. So I want to talk about Mm -hmm. that, um, how to explain your creative life to parents that don't understand, and we're also going to get into a little bit of dating, but I really like to go to the inciting incident of somebody's creativity and you have a really deep emotional story of how you became a comedian. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and like share what the inciting incident of your creative journey was. Yeah, absolutely. So I know it's, it's a common, a common theory. I think it's something a lot of people hear about that. Like a lot of 
like how you said, there's a there's a launch pad for creativity. And with comedy specifically, it is often interlinked with pain or trauma or some of the most intense experiences. Um, so for me, yes, used to do PR. I've been focusing on comedy two to three years now, I want to say, um, full-time pivoting my career. And it was right at the tail end of a severely abusive relationship that I was in for about three and a half years that just kind of forced a magnifying glass on every area in my life uh, that was subsequently destroyed, you know, mm-hmm. especially me, you know, being at, at the nucleus of all of it, you know, it was like everything was kind of burning around me. And was falling apart because, you know, domestic abuse doesn't really leave a lot of room for growth or like healthy interaction, creativity, productivity, any of those things. But yeah, it was, I, I've been doing comedy my entire life, but it was definitely the fleeing of that relationship, the repairing of myself, the putting back together of my life that really like lit the fire under my ass and was like, who, who am I really? What do I stand for? What do I have to say? What do I what do I want to do with this one life that I'm putting back together now? Now that I get to put the pieces back together, how do I want to how do I want it to look? I I have more control than ever now. Yeah. I love that because I mean, I think whenever we have any sort of near death experience, like or you know, mm-hmm. experience at least that makes us question what life is about. Mhm. It can kind of give us like a blank slate and say, well, what do I really have to lose? So I love that you did that, but I would love for you if you have any advice for women who are, or men who are currently in that situation, like how would you advise them to start to take steps to get out? Yeah. Self, self-reliance, knowing that, uh, you had a life before this experience, uh, and you will have a life again, you know, obviously barring any severe injury consequences or anything like that, but also just like remembering that you are your own whole individual And even if you have somebody in your life who's trying to strip you of everything that you think you are and everything that you're worth, they can't at the end of the day. They just can't. You always have you. And also, too, if you surmise it's abuse, it probably is. If it's something Mm. that you feel unsafe in and you don't feel valued and you, you feel like as if it's really like taking a toll on your sense of agency and your life, too, you know, um, you're probably right. And you're... It doesn't happen overnight, like a lot of things and like a lot of important changes and transitions. That's probably my my main takeaway and that you shouldn't feel any shame or guilt for being in it or for it taking five to 10 times. I believe like I even think the statistic for women is like on average, it's like eight or nine times. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's it's like the important thing is you. You've always got you and and that, you know, you always can leave at any point. You always have you. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You're picking up the pieces to your life. You got out so brave. You're a survivor. How did you start to like take that deep, deep pain and then turn it into something you could laugh about? Like what was what was the do you remember the first joke you made after I do. that? I tell do. me. And it's so <laughs> when you when you're following a calling, it's calling you for a reason. And it's like right. it's instinctive, that creative calling. So it was almost like it Okay, it was subconscious to make comedy about this. And the very first joke I wrote, I was trying to, I was telling friends and people in my life about this experience. And because I had always been in comedy and always, I would think, had a big sense of humor, it was, it was coming out funny. Like I was making them cry laughing and cry and laugh and, you know, a little bit of both. Um, And I think the first joke was like, I hate, I hate it. I really don't like my name, Brittany. So I was like, I feel like when you meet someone named Brittany, you think one of two things. You either want to take me to the mall or punch me in the face. And if you're my ex-boyfriend, you got to do both. Or if you're my oh. boyfriend, you get to do It's terrible. I know. It's so dark. Yeah, no. No, but but I mean, hey. Yeah. Speaking it out loud, I think, is what helps. Like, like uh, you know, in working with Brene Brown, I've learned so much about shame. And the thing that keeps us small and that keeps us in abusive relationships, even if it's like an abusive relationship with ourselves, is mm-hmm. not speaking about what things are happening because then okay. they own you. And so yeah. you making that joke was your first step to freedom. It absolutely was. It was like me – recontrolling the narrative it felt like a healthy position of power i was like oh my god i can i can make people laugh about this right. i can like do something that's way 
way bigger than me. And I was, I've always been a big believer too that it's like you might not like the truth, but it doesn't change that it is the truth. And that's why I fell in love with comedy. You might not like the joke, but it's true. Or you might not, you know what I mean? So it's whether or not I talk about it isn't going to change the fact that it happened. So I might as well like own it and make comedy about it and share it. Yeah. What was the time frame between leaving the situation and making that joke? Or was that when you were still in the situation? Still in it. Wow. And so that was ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was firing on all cylinders. And like all the first jokes I made were like dark like that, which is interesting because I feel like as a comedian, it you you find that voice. Like, you know, like I love like Anthony Jeselnik and like he's like one of the darkest, best joke writers. But it's like, oh, that takes years to hone. But for some reason, because this is where my well was, this is where all of the inspiration and pain was coming from. Those were all my first jokes. And like when I, I luckily, you know, I, I was able to press charges. I was able to secure a restraining order and never, that's, those are the things I was joking about, like during and in the aftermath of that relationship. And then, wow. and then it just became, and then it was honing the joke writing thing. And then it was making jokes about, you know, everything up. But no, it was, it was during that relationship because I was telling my friends in a way that they were laughing and they're like, this is so fucked up. And you know yeah. what? You should probably be bringing it to the stage. Yeah. Your name is so apt. I, you are yeah. Brittany Brave. <laughs> you, you are. <laughs> Thank you. It's Congratulations real. on being named appropriately. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know. I feel it's it's real. The boobs are real. It's all real, everybody. It's all these 32 Bs are real. Okay. Honey, are, welcome. Honey, welcome. I'm here and I'm real. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I feel like it's too, I always feel like it's too American and it's too corny. I'm like, I might as well be Brittany Bald Eagle, but like, I don't well, know. because you're very Italian. I mean, like, how, how did we get the last name Brave? Where did it come from? Was it like Braviosi before? Or yeah. something? <laughs> it was actually Bolognese and it just got, because <laughs> we're both hundred percent Italian. We should clarify. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And you can, I know if, if you're listening to the podcast at home, you can't see the rapid hand movements that Lauren and I are doing. So like, yeah, but it's happening. We burn calories while having a yeah. conversation. I actually um, think people think I'm doing like American Sign Language when I'm talking on, on anything that's on camera. It, it's too. it's aggressive. I, I should just sit on my hands because I think it's probably horrifying to any viewers. I think I would also probably talk less and, and maybe and I'd take a beat and say smarter things if I sat right. on my hands. Like I yeah, you're just like, like <laughs> casting a spell. People who are like, this tiny girl is on cocaine. Like they think I'm on drugs. Like when I'm yeah. on stage. Really, Same. I actually yeah. got asked in high school a lot if I was high. And it was just so funny because I had never been high. Not once. Yeah. Yeah, no, same. I'm not, yeah, no, no drugs. This is a dare yeah. sponsored podcast now. Um, I'm like, but I, yeah, I think people look at me and they're like, she, she is the little engine that can't even, like, she can't even keep up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, yeah. not with yourself, but you're like speeding past everybody else. Yeah. All yeah. the time. All, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, but no, my, the last name is actually Bravo. Bravo is the Italian root of the last uh -huh. name. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my, I guess, yeah, my grandfather changed it when he, when he came over from Italy. Yeah. Because he's like, he said, I will come to this new country here. and be brave. And be brave. Everybody loves to be brave in America. We'll be brave. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now make dinner. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Man, what is it? Manja, right? Manja. Manja. Eat. Yeah, yeah, eat. yeah. So, okay. Then you're doing this comedy, but you're also working this PR job. Like, how did yeah. you start doing PR? Like, what drew you to that? Yeah, I probably the fact that I can't shut up. That's number one. Yeah, it's the Italian thing in it, too. And I'm always talking. Um, I was in college and I was studying theater and I was having those arguments with my very traditional Italian parents um, about, well, you need something to fall back on and you can always do theater and comedy, but you, you need that fail safe. You need that boring corporate career path that spoiler alert, you're going to like jump hate. ship and run from and, and, and hate and loathe. Yeah. I was like, I'm jumping off this boat. Um, but so I guess I, I love to write too. Um, which is now more interlinked with comedy. But mm. so I was doing journalism and PR in college and always telling myself that I would always have, because I had the freedom and I had the time in college to do comedy on the side. But so I was like, oh, it'll be exactly the same when I get to New York and not quite, 
you know? Right. So it was, yeah, it was just PR, which was all consuming. And then six years later, here we are. So, yeah. When you and I first talked, what I loved is you said you would basically have to like come out to your clients that you were a comedian. (laughs) Like talk talk to me about that because I think so many of us have that. Like I know I do when I produce. I'm like, and I'm also a singer songwriter. And they're like, you are? What? I'm like, yeah. Is it really that different? But I I have this like deep – and I'm curious to know if you had the same thing. Like I have this Mm -hmm. deep – desire and need for everybody to know everything I do and to honor that. And it's like, I should just be fine with the fact that I am those things. But if I'm not reflected back as being the things that I see myself as, I have major mental issues. So I'm curious, like during that time, did you have the same thing? And what was it like to come out as a comedian? Oh, completely. I'm, I'm the same way, by the way. I'm very like, I, and I encourage people to do that too. Like I, I love self, self promotion, self ownership. Like I love, yeah, I'm like, I do all of these things. Yes, these are all the parts of me, and they're me, and they make up who I am. But yeah, I did. I, I It actually started because it was heartbreaking, because I was in the music business, and I was in PR corporate mode, left brain heavy, like very, very systematic. And I would, I would tell people like, oh, well, I have an improv show tonight, or I have a sketch show tonight, or whatever. I actually also do comedy. And then to have them respond and say, wait, really? Like, it, yeah, painful, heartbreaking, because it was something that was at my core. I had always known I was funny, always known I was a ham, always known I was a comedian and actress. And then I was like, oh, my God, the people that I talk to the most and that I work with the most don't know this, like, fundamental thing about me. So it yeah. was like, yeah. And then it was starting to, like, no, I've done – I don't – obviously, I'm a publicist, but, like, I, I do comedy. I love comedy. It's my most favorite thing. And then they'd be like, oh, that's why you make all those inappropriate dick jokes on conference calls. And I'm like, right, I'm working it out. Right. Like, you know, that's why you're you're cracking jokes all the time. Um, So, yeah, it was, yeah, it was trying to, like, reconcile, like, the Britney that I felt like I needed to be in mm. PR. And then, like, the Britney that I was. It was a little bit of, like, yeah, identity crisis. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I always think that, you know, it's like, whatever you are is going to come out anyway. Like if you're a singer and you end up being like a grade school teacher, you're going to be the singing grade school teacher. And that's fine if you're fine with that. But if what you really want to do is be a singer, like just go do it. I know it's easier said than done. Obviously I'm still on the Mm -hmm. path. I'm not there yet where I'm making my living from that, but Mm -hmm. whatever we want to do is going to come out anyway. Like you're going to make the dick jokes in the zoom call. You're going to do it. I'm bound to make at least two today. It's yes. going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> if not, so sue me. If not, exactly. They're brewing right now. <laughs> read my Twitter feed. Read my drafts of my Twitter and be like, that oh, would be great. Oh, yeah. I love it. Behind I the will. scenes, I'll, getting I'll insight into the brain of Brit. Into the brain of Brit and see which kernels should pop and which kernels we should throw out. Like which one? Yeah. <laughs> which one's going to break um, your tooth? <laughs> yeah, truly. Truly. Um, no, yeah, it's so, yeah, you can't hide from those like fundamental things. And I think that's the difference between like a, uh, a job and a career and then like a job and career and a, and a calling, and especially with something mm. self-identifying and as an art, as an entrepreneurial craft and as an artist too, you're like, I'm never going to separate. I'm always going to be the person making the awkward jokes on the conference call because that's just, I, I like making comedy. I like making people laugh. Yeah. So how did you then decide like, hey, I can't like making dicks on a conference call and like doing a few shows at night isn't enough for me. I'm going to go out into the great unknown. Like what was the inciting incident? Was was it leaving the abusive relationship that made you do that? It lit the fire under my ass for sure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was um, a growing misery in PR. Yeah. Um on top of a growing misery in this relationship and also feeling like, so you attempt to leave a situation like this so many times. Right. And there's this right. like voice inside of you. That's like, this is wrong. There's, there's bigger, there's greater. You've got to get yourself out. Like your safety mm-hmm. department in your head is like firing on safety all department. <laughs> your safety department is like, please go, 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 go. Not good. Not good. Um, and, and I kept attempting to leave and when I felt like I looked around at my life, I felt like I had nothing to turn to. It's as dark and sad as that sounds. Well, I'll throw myself into work. I fucking hate that. Like I did, like, you know, and I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like it drives me insane. 
And I was like, well, well, what about like where I live? Oh, I'm not happy with like where I'm living in the city or my living situation. I just felt like I was turning to so many areas of my life that like, I was like, well, that's not going to fix me. That's not going to fix me. That's not going to, you know, and not that you need to swing from extreme to extreme, but the only thing that I could like run to was comedy. I was like, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be a part of me. It's always going to make me feel good. And it's something he can't take from me. Like I always have it. I always have access to it. That gives me chills. Yeah. I was like, oh, and I get to say what I want on stage. You can't stop me. I'll do this. Yeah. I think like Brittany, you just said the most fucking profound thing in the world. Like that is why creativity is so necessary. Like it literally can save your life. Yeah. It saved my life. Yeah. I say it all the time. Comedy saved my life. All the time. That if I didn't have that part of me, I was like, oh, I'm Brittany again. So it's, yeah. And it's something that no one can ever take for you, no matter how dark things are, no matter if you've lost everything in your life. Mm-hmm. Your creative outlet, like who you are as an artist and a person, like no one can ever take that away from you. You can own that forever. Mm-hmm. And you make it what you want it to be too. It's like tying yourself to something bigger. And I'm a com- I can be sitting next to another comedian and we can make completely different forms of comedy. We can go about our comedic journeys completely differently. That's great too. Like that's another mm-hmm. part of it that makes it like invincible and evergreen in your life as an artist is that it's like, it's mine. I can choose to do with it what I want. I have just as much access to producing comedy as anybody else does. Like, and it's, it, and especially when you go through something like that and you're at the mercy of someone else's trauma and abuse and control and everything, you're like, I've, I've been tying myself to people and to things that are like, dragging me like I'm I'm leash like well I'm curious for you because it seems like you have a good relationship with your parents right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I I do too I mean obviously there's things that are very fucked up but nothing that's like you know gonna hurt me fucked up just like funny little quirky things that we work through Right. Um, but I've also been, I've never been in a physically abusive relationship, but I've been in emotionally and mentally abusive relationships. And I've mm-hmm. like tried to figure out like, why, like, how did that happen to me? Like, mm-hmm. how did I get there? Because foundationally, I don't have anything that says that I should be in this situation. But I mean, actually, when I look back generations, my grandmother was abused by her mother. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do believe in like epigenetics because like we get genetic data from them but yep. like in your experience with your own experience and then like because I, I know that this is a platform that you work in a lot mm-hmm. does it always have some sort of tie back to childhood or is it just it's people can be so manipulative that you fall into it and you don't even know you're in it until it's too late yeah I think it's I think it can be anything I think you yeah. you enter those experiences and you stay in them for for multiple reasons it can be directly linked to your childhood I think it can be directly linked to like the formative relationships and interactions you had mm. with romantic partners early in your life you know it could be an internal self-identification self self-confidence issue and stuff um it's interesting you say that too because I, I Italian culture there is a lot of abuse on women it's in the it, it's yeah yeah it's a thing well, yeah, yeah in but- our family, it was like a woman against woman. I mean, my my grandmother's mother chased her around the house with a knife. Like, yeah. it was, yeah. she had like undiagnosed bipolar. But the, the scary thing yeah. is, and I'm sure you found this in your experience too, is like mental health is very taboo within American Italian culture. Like, we don't talk about it. Oh, I yeah. went to my mom when I was 15 and said, Mom, I really think I need to be in therapy. And she said, mm-hmm. Are you sure? I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, uh, I just fucking told you I need to be in therapy. Like I'm 15. That wasn't easy for me. Can you help me out? And like, I didn't end up getting into it till I was 23. But I think about that all the time. And like, I have this song therapy. It's like the last Mm -hmm. single I'm going to release on my album. But even in Michigan, I don't know if it's the same in Florida. When I sing the song, the room goes silent. It's as yeah. if I was like singing like, I murdered someone, everybody yeah. join me. Hey. It's like, it's so yeah. difficult to discuss mental health mm-hmm. within Italian American culture. It's, it's a non-issue. It's you mm-hmm. bring any problem to your parents and you're immediately diagnosed with you're being dramatic. <laughs> like that's, that's what they, they're doctors all of a sudden. And yeah, it was the, I mean, even, even still, I think the only, I will say that that relationship changed my parents' approach 
to therapy and it, mm. getting stubborn older generation Italian people to change their approach to anything is a huge win. So huge. that's how you knew it was a, a riff. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, I mean, they, I think in, in that situation, in such an extreme situation, they knew I needed it. But outside of that, it's just not acknowledged. Like it, it literally is like, what, what's the matter with you? Go back to work. You know, yeah. Go back to, yeah. You or they just want to sweep it under the rug, like. And and I yeah. always wonder, like, is that somehow tied to like mob culture, like, like because there's so much secrecy yeah. and shame and guilt. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, and like, and, and family members living double lives too. Yeah. Like, who your dad is at home is like you have no idea what he does when he goes to work or something. Like, you have no. You're like he's he's swimming with fishes again. What's going on? <laughs> you know, dad loves to swim. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's also like strength. Like, it's a it's a double edged sword because I do find like Italian Americans and Italian culture we are raised to be to be tough and strong just as much as like young Italian women are coddled and protected we are also raised like you don't take any shit you know we we go through a lot we're we're, we have a lot of internal strength that especially as a matriarch of a family everyone dips into that cup of strength you're the one holding everybody else up Mm -hmm. but I think on the other side of that coin it makes us like uh, void of any it's sweeping under the rug and that's not strength but we think it is like well right I, I don't want to deal with it I don't I don't have a I don't have a time you know so it's like well no. the more it, you sweep it under the rug though the more it owns you oh my god yeah. yeah yeah and that's why like your comedy is so powerful because you spoke what was happening to you so that it mm-hmm. didn't own you anymore and then you were able to find the strength to leave like but a creative criticism <laughs> like, what was that like, like a creative exorcism. It's yeah. Like, get it out. Yeah. Like get it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's everything. I'm curious too, because you're also an only child. I feel yeah. like I'm just like, you're like the person, because kids with siblings get to be like, hey, was this fucking normal? But we don't have that. So I feel like right now I'm getting the opportunity to ask you if I'm okay. <laughs> and I believe in therapy. So let's yeah. do it. Let's yeah. do it. So, okay, growing up, did you find yourself feeling responsible to hold your parents' marriage together and be their pseudo-counselor ever? I still feel it now. Yeah, yeah. me too. I'm in the middle of every, it's because you're too, you're like, as an only child, you're like uh, the third wheel for for the relationship all the time, yeah. you know? And like, my, my mother would get mad at me and she would say, oh, you're always just like your father, insert XYZ bad characteristic. And then when my dad and I would like maybe have an argument, it'd be like, oh, you know where you get that from? Your mother, you know? So I was like literally like a divorce attorney. In yeah. between. I mean, they're still together. They're great. But like, same, same, I, same. Yeah, but it's part of like the only child. You're like, how am I 14? But I, I feel like a 44-year-old divorce attorney, like I'm mediating this. Yeah. I'm you close to the situation. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. So my yeah. parents, act, as much as they're like weird about therapy, they did go to counseling, which I think they somehow made into like a different thing in their head. They, they put it over there. It. It's couples yeah. counseling. So it's not therapy. Yeah. <laughs> But I was like really pissed about it when I was little because I thought that it meant that they were going to get divorced. And so I was literally eight, Brittany. And I go to them (laughs) and I go, you don't need counseling. I'll be your counselor. And I remember every time they would go there, I would lean my head against the door and try to hear what they were saying. I love that so much. And one time they opened the door and I fell in. (laughs) Yes. And you're just like, well, now that I'm here, mom, you need to listen better. Dad, yeah. you need to stop and you need to calm down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think always at the kid, I was at the adults' table too. Me too. Like, I even remember I, there's a story. It's like my, it's one of my mom and dad's favorite stories. I was like five, six, I don't even know, like somewhere in that age bracket at a restaurant. And the waitress was like, I think I was literally still, or maybe young enough to still be sitting in like a high chair, but somehow mouthy enough where she was like, does she want like a kitty cup? Does she want, and I answered her. Like I answered the question she asked my mom. And I was like, I don't, I want an adult cup. Yeah. And she was like, okay. Like two seconds later, I was like, I'll also take a Negroni. Thank you. Like, so like, what do you take me for a fool? You take me for a fool, excuse me. Age is nothing but a number, Nancy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's you you grow up, 
you grow fast. up really fast as an only yeah. child. Like you not do. in a way when you're out on the streets, like prostituting and doing drugs, but in the way where like people think you're much older than you are. And I, I get scared sometimes. I don't know if this still happens to you, but like people would always be like, oh, you're so wise for your age. You're so well-spoken for your age. And I'm like, yeah. when am I going to, it's going to be a really sad day when I'm as wise as my age should be. Yeah. And is that coming yeah. soon? That's oh my god, that's brilliant, Lauren. I never thought about that. Like you're like, am I just gonna get like wiser and wiser and wiser, or am I gonna like plateau? Yeah, like, am I gonna have that wisdom when I'm at the age when I should have it? And then I'm like, so where do we go from here? Like, what lessons do we have left to learn? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll keep learning. But like, when I'm like sixty, are people gonna be like, you're exactly as wise as your age should be? You're going to have, we're both going to have like identity crises. You're going to have imposter yeah. syndrome when that happens. I'm going to be like, no, no, no. You don't understand. I've always been 10 years ahead. Like yeah. 10 years ahead. Yeah. Well, I look 60, but I'm acting like a 70 year old. Oh my gosh. I say it all the time. I'm always, I have a joke about it where I'm like, I'm 29. I look 14. I date 50 year olds. I have the wisdom of a sage. Like if you do the math, I died yesterday. Like I'm not on the planet. Like I'm not, I'm fake. I'm a tarot card. Like literally. <laughs> You're my favorite tarot card. Yes. Oh. Yes. So, uh, like, okay, I'm trying. To figure, I'm just like, there's so many directions we could go right now. How do you think that this affects the way you approach dating? Having this as your background, especially yeah. with your parents, because something I'm thinking about a lot right now. Okay, like I was in the seven year long relationship. We broke mm -hmm. up in October. We were mm -hmm. kind of like, I mean, we didn't talk for a full month, but then we'd still see each other. And we actually quarantined together at the beginning of this. I don't know if I even told you oh my that. God, I know. Yeah, because okay. I was like, well, if we're going to die, possibly anyway, like I'd rather Might have a buddy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then he ended up coming back to Detroit with me. Then he went back to Minnesota. Now we're in different locations. But anyway, I say all that to tell you, like, I am finally feeling like I'm ready to date. But now if I go on a date, I could die because the person could have a virus that could kill me. Yeah. Uh, I'm also living at home with my parents who are like Puritans and, and my mom in particular is very anti-sex, which you are oh, so, yeah. you're so lucky that you're at least in a pro-sex household. <laughs> I am. I am. Well, and it's pro-sex by, by ways of like, my father's just totally oblivious as I yeah. think, I think they just learn to be when they have girls. And, and my, my mom is, my mom is like pro-sex, but she's like ambivalent about it. Like she doesn't give it, like, she's like, why do you need to do that? And I'm like, what do you yeah. mean? Why do I need to do that? Like she treats it like therapy. Like she's like, you don't need that. Well, yeah. My mom's yeah. famous line is she wants yeah. me to marry my gay best friend because sex isn't everything. Oh, my, I'll, she still asks about my gay best friend. She's still like, is he still gay? I'm like, mom, first yeah. off, don't say that. And yes, B, he is. Right. Yeah. So when Johnny came out, my mom goes, are you sure? Are you sure? She goes, yeah. he was in love with you though, Lauren. He was in yeah. love with you. I'm like, clearly not. He likes things. Yeah, she goes, she goes, I don't understand what happened. Like she took it like as if it was like a, a falling out between like me and Danny. Like she literally, and I was like, no, 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 mom. He's just... He's discovered himself, like he's he's found himself in his sexuality. Right. He goes, did you just get in a fight? And I was like, no, mom, there was never, there was never anything there. Danny likes boys and always has. Like that's yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. Yeah. I love that your gay best friend's name is Danny and mine is Johnny. They're best friends. Like yeah. Danny Bravo. Like <laughs> we should be together. We should be together. We should. Maybe okay. this was why. <laughs> Okay, new show, Italian matchmakers. Oh my gosh, it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. So, it. okay, I give you all this backstory to ask like where do you think this leaves us in the dating world and how are you feeling about dating right now in general? How are you feeling? How are you um, feeling? Tell me. <laughs> uh I I I I don't want to say jaded. Jaded cuz yeah. that's so, you know, I guess ap I'm currently apathetic mm, or, mm. or I'm at the crossroads of like really ultimately hopeful. Like I'd like to move on. Like it's been now, it'll be three years in uh, September since my mm. last relationship with, with that being the relationship, you know, right. the, the, and everything. And I've had spits and spats of pseudo relationships and, and almost lovers, which is something I want to like write a book on. Like there's like the, all those people that are like almost partners, almost oh, lovers. That's and the hardest. 
messes with you the most. Why do you think that happens? Timing, denial sometimes, I think, too. I think our generation in particular, monogamy and all of these modes of commitment and sexuality are being like unpacked and unpacked and unpacked. It's like, it's like those little like Chinese dolls. Like when you open one, there's like a hundred more inside and it's like right. seemingly endless. And I feel like that's what we're now doing with commitment and sexuality. So it's like the locking in of two people, the commitment and the stuff on paper is like a mess. So you stay in it with that person because the connection's there, but it's so hard to actually like build something because society is like kind of all over the place with monogamy and commitment and not in a bad way, but it's yeah, yeah. it's figuring itself out. I mean, what do you, how do you feel part. about marriage and all that? I I mean I, that is where the traditional uh, Italian does come out a little bit. Like I I really I would love to be like married with kids shoving pasta in their face, you know, in in X amount of years, I would. But even I'm like re-examining that, you know, like maybe, maybe it's not marriage, maybe it's some kind of life partnership. I would love to finally be vulnerable and try really loving somebody again, which I'm sure that will be an an emotional kaleidoscope for me and whoever that, that lucky man is, that's going to have to, you know. He is lucky. He is. You know what? Here's the thing. Anybody that you choose to be brave enough to be vulnerable with and share your heart and your pain with is honored, like is blessed. It's yeah. a blessing to be able to hold someone's story and especially to be like the main person to hold it. And mm-hmm. I think we need to realign that. Like nobody comes to a relationship just being like a perfect beam of light. Like oh, there's, no. you know, and so I think it's really easy for us to be like, well, who would want to deal with? all my baggage who would want to hold this but there's somebody out there whose baggage is going to fit together with your baggage in a lovely little package and you're actually going to help each other heal yeah absolutely yeah that's and that's you know I think that's the last part of my well I shouldn't say that I think there's ongoing healing with traumatic traumatic experiences so I think I'll be healing forever and I don't think I'll ever be the same in a very beautiful a little twisted way, but like in an overall like poignant way. Um, But I do think that is an integral part of like where I'm at right now. I'm like, I think the next step is like, put yourself in something with someone who you can really wholly like open up to and who can Mm -hmm. carry and make space for what it is you've gone through. And until I feel like I've found something with that, I'm feeling a little like, eh, I don't need your drink states. I don't need, I don't need the, the kind of hinge, halfway hinge convos. I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. You know? Let's, I, I want the real Monty right now, man. I want to like, I, I don't know. The next you, connection I want it to be the real deal on some level. I do too. I do too. Yeah. I'm also scared of that too, though. Like you said, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think cause I was in something for so long and I know how I commit now. And I'm like, I'm now afraid to commit to something. Cause I know if I commit to it, it's hard to get out of. And then I'm like, well, what if I want to get out of it though? And and it's like going back to even what you said with like the hardest of situations, you're never trapped, you're never stuck. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's hard to care about people because I feel like you can fall in love with almost anyone if you see people's potential. And it's a it's very dangerous to oh. to recognize that somebody's potential is not necessarily what you're getting in real time. And I know I for sure. Sh- Word yeah. Word. yeah, we, we can't have another, like, for me personally, like, love is not enough and, and no more projects. No more projects. No. Yes. Yes. And it's also, oh, man, I love, I say that word for word. I remind myself of it in all of these false starts and, like, almost lovers and mm-hmm. could be worthy situations that I'm like, you have to detach yourself from what it is he can be or the relationship can be and you have to have this radical acceptance for like what it is what it is and what that person can give you like and I'm like Brittany you wouldn't do this anywhere else like you wouldn't be like uh you wouldn't go to a restaurant and be like I wish you had chicken parm well I don't have chicken parm you'd be like oh but in theory if you did you'd probably make a great chicken parm like, that's insane. oh my gosh <laughs> I never <laughs> thought of it that way <laughs> 
you leave and go get chicken parm. Like you wouldn't wait there and be like, I'm just gonna wait and see if someone can melt some chicken on a chicken, some cheese on a chicken breast for me. It's not that hard. I know they're capable of it. Like just throw some tomato sauce on top, put it in the oven. You've got fried chicken on your menu, basically the same. No, a hundred percent. You are so that really puts it into perspective for me. Yeah. I think this is the thing I always say. The best thing and the worst thing about you are usually the same. So my best quality is that I can see who somebody really is when I can cut through the bullshit, see who they are inside who see who they're capable of being but Mm -hmm. what i need to start realizing is just because i have that ability doesn't mean that's what i'm getting in real time that person might not be ready to be their higher self they may not ever be ready to do that and it's not my job and it's not my even right to sit there and hold their hand and try to force that to happen like I think so many times over the course of my dating career, I've confused fixing people with falling in love. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Because it brings you, it does bring you purpose and joy and like Mm -hmm. comfort and solace. And I mean, I mean to tie it all back together. I think that's a huge thing with domestic abuse too. When Mm -hmm. people go, why did I stay? Why did I stay? Oftentimes the people who are doing the hurting have been hurt, have their own trauma. What it can do is put up a mirror to what we go through, make what we're going through seem so much smaller, which self-serves us, and mm-hmm. also makes us feel like that you you have a purpose. You were able to take somebody from point A to point B of their pain, or you 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 think you fixed it, you know? And it's, and again, that's a beautiful thing, and it comes from a beautiful place, but it's like, it's an unbalanced transaction. And you can point. never that's grow in the relationship. Like, yeah, you're cheated out of the relationship, like the growth that you could have or like the times when maybe you are being like not the best version of yourself. You're cheated out of having those growth experiences because the things you're doing are so much. I don't know how to say this maybe in a way that doesn't sound insensitive, but like the things you're doing are so much less severe than the things that they're doing that you don't Mm -hmm. even get to like be appropriately called out for them or grow because there's no comparison. Like that's no something comparison. I really noticed in my relationship that was like that. It was just, yeah. I I didn't get to grow the way I could have because I was just always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Oh, I do that all the time now too. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I still work on that and it's like, you're so right. That's the kind of work that you're doing. It's like, you're doing retroactive work. Like it's like the relationship's never present. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if it were present, there would be real, real time growth happening individually and together. But if you're if you're working through stuff that existed before you and spoiler alert will exist after you because the Mm -hmm. only person who can fix it is them. You're like, why am I doing work for another time? Like, I feel like I'm fixing. Yeah. Like I'm fixing your shit that existed years before I even entered entered the picture. And like. Yeah, that's a huge thing for me now too. Like a huge thing I look for in potential partners is like, does he work on himself? Like, is he actively trying to like be a better version of himself on multiple levels? Because there's individual work and shit I can't help you with. And then there's what you said, the shared space. And that's Mm -hmm. also, that's a kind of growth and work that like, I also can't do alone. I'm going to do in the context of a healthy partnership. But if you're spending all your time with someone doing work that it's like, honey, that's a solo project. That's yeah. not a group project. Like that's yeah. like a, not a group a, mission. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I look for that so actively now. It's the most attractive thing to me. Someone who just is like making proactive choices to How like, can you tell? I usually find it's like in how they like manage their time, mm. what what they value Usually it's also the things I think that they value in you too. Like it goes beyond like, this is probably a bad example, but it's not like, I love you because you're so fun. Like they'll start to say things like, I really love you because I admire how like you've pivoted your entire career or how you work every day towards something you're passionate about. And if that's what they see as beauty in you, that's because it holds value to them. And it's something that they're, they're probably working on as well, you know? And it's like, yeah. oftentimes you don't know that too, until you get in it with somebody and you're like, Oh, you just live life as like the status quo. You just want to like get by and that's okay. Yeah. But that's not, that's okay. That's but not- then you need to find someone who also wants to do that or be yep. alone. Right. That's yeah. real compatibility to me. It's mm-hmm. not in the like, we have so much fun. Oh my God, we like the same. Like, that's important. Totally. Not only that's- go so far. Are you going to help me take care of my parents when they get old? That's what I want to know. 
yeah, how are you socially responsible? Like, how do yeah. you handle like social commitments? Like, are you good to the people in your life? What's important to you? Like, the, mm-hmm. do the people in your life trust you? Like, that's the shit I'm thinking about now. Yeah. So do we have like, the same priorities? Yes. Yeah. All mm-hmm. of that stuff. Um. So yeah, I feel like it's it's usually the people who like can see that in you and like really like like one of the favorite parts about you is like oh lauren you're so creative you you spend time every day working on your art and yourself it's like that's usually someone who's at least striving to do that within themselves but yeah i don't know so how how does your ideal partner show up for your creative life like in your dream like how would they show up for you and support you as a comedian as a creative amuse in a lot of ways i think they're always going to be a source for great material like in a, in a sense that like not even that he would be like the butt of the joke but that right. he would also feeling here's really how and it's one other thing I look for is like someone who I can be absolutely comfortable around like I mean the level that I am with myself as an only child living in this skin and usually being by myself for almost 30 years I can also match that level. My walls are down that much with somebody else. And I think that would let me feel like live an exalted life and like mm. let the muse come in because I feel so entirely holy myself, Brittany to the fullest when I'm alone and I'm with him. And so there's the, you know, ultimate creativity comes from that place of like authenticity and comfort and confidence and, and all that stuff. Um, and support, man. Yeah, I want someone who's like, yeah, takes an active interest and like, you know, can give me like constructive feedback and that I can like, you know, I, I do want someone to, cause I'm a big cheerleader. So I want someone to be. My yeah. Favorite. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you. And I think it's because my parents are so supportive of me. I really yeah. expect that in a partner. Like if you're not, if you're on social media and you're not like blasting out my things, I'm like, do you even love me? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Oh, Hi. now you're unfrozen. So Britt and I yep. uh, went out for a minute. We I, we couldn't hear or see each other for like literally one minute. We think her parents unplugged the internet. <laughs> but like, let's talk about this because you and I are both in the same situation right now where we're kind of between home and between the places that we've made our home for you, New York, for me, LA. Mm-hmm. How is this affecting you just as a human, but also as a creative? Like, wh- how how are you processing what's going on right now? <laughs> I, I have five heart attacks a day every time my mother unplugs the internet when I'm in the middle of the podcast and her live stream. I'm unwell. Um, no, I no doing great, I'm, thriving. Um, doing great, just really just thriving when it's when the land goes off in the middle of an important interview. Oh my god, yeah. I've got my landline right over here. Literally, yeah. And I'm like, mom, who calls on it? AT and T, like yep. it's nobody. Nobody. Usually, it's it. her. Okay, she'll she'll answer the phone. She'll, it'll be a number she doesn't recognize. She goes. <laughs> So take us off your list. Yeah. That's yeah. basically oh nine God. out of 10. Once in a while, it's my aunt. That's it. Yeah. That's the same thing. Once in a while, it's a family member that we like don't even really talk to anyway. And the other time she answers, even though she doesn't know the number and she goes, I don't know who gets my number. These calls are weird. These calls are weird. They're getting something. Yeah. So working around that. But, um, 
quarantine personally, I had so much space to like um, process. I feel like I cried more than I ever do because mm. I suddenly had like the time to do yeah. it. Like, I I was at, I was with myself, me yeah. myself and I. I only like two of those versions. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so I felt a lot of personal growth, a lot of like thinking and, and just time to make sense of things that I had buried in like the New York hustle. And then like creatively, after getting over that first shock of like, oh God, where's the industry for the thing that I just, this was the year I was going to like cast the financial net to the wayside and like really try and like only make income from comedy as much as I possibly can and tour and all of these different things and then COVID. Um, but creatively, it's been really good, honestly. Again, it's a thing that I feel like I finally have the time get my, get my shit together creatively. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like everyone is too. Like everyone, like you too, like we're all like creatively, it seems like like thriving. Like, because it's like, even down to like the TikToks you see coming out or like the thing, like the quarantine humor, you know, you're like, oh my God, everyone's like producing, trying to make sense of 2020. Yeah. How are you? Cause if you were going to throw everything to, to the wayside and like make your money from comedy this year that was the goal like how have you still found creative ways to make money from comedy while there are no open mics or you know nights at the improv or whatever places you go what is it and I said an only fans but I'm kidding I know I know <laughs> but maybe I might hmm. uh, next I steps yeah it's, yeah it's all transferred virtually for the most part now so I gotta say the financial support has been people are like really willing to to support and have been very generous. I think mm -hmm. understanding the plight of the starving artist and what's going on with us right now and simultaneously needing comedy more than ever. But it's like, um, I have some brand partnerships coming up down the line with brands that I connected with trying to grow my social following. They notice working, like creating comedic content for them, comedy writing for publications and things like that. So just, I will say that is a, a big upswing too, is I think it's, if you use this quarantine correctly, your tool belt triple in size because you're you're all of a sudden like, okay, I can't do stand up. So even if I was a purist and I only ever did stand up and that's that's how I was as a comedian, you're like, okay, what well, I have this ability to be funny and write funny things. So where else can I do that? You know? Yeah. I well, I think there's something interesting to that too. My friend Jordan is a comedian and he was doing open mm -hmm. mics literally every night and he was performing yeah. and doing the whole thing. But he's like, I didn't realize how much energy I was wasting, like just getting to these places. He said, yeah. in, the, in the time I've saved from not doing open mics every night, because that's the way he thought he had to do it. He's written a movie. He's finished editing another movie. Yeah. He's made a podcast. Like, There's so many more creative things that he's done and yeah. potential income activities in? yeah. yeah, that he wouldn't have ever had if he just kept in that same hustle and pattern because he thought he was supposed to do it that's so true yeah that too and I mean even even on the comedy side like I oh I used to have to carve out time to write unencumbered clear my headspace have a coffee no distractions really tinker with these jokes but you don't have the time to do that yeah again when you're like oh I have to leave now to take my train hopefully it's on time to get to spot number one spot number two open mic whatever so for that, yeah, like kind of removing the distractions and not having anything else to do, there was no excuse but to just like hunker down and like really figure out what jokes don't work. How do we rewrite this? How do we catcall too? Like catcall, I've been like, yeah, oh, I can really think about that. Like, Let's talk about catcall. What is catcall? Yeah, catcall. Um, how can we get involved? Um, started off, yeah, in the music business as a like, I wanted an outlet for women to genuinely connect because I didn't feel like something like that really existed. So I was like, well, we don't really want to be like talked at, at a, on a panel. Like sometimes we do, but what if we like really crafted like fun interactive events that gave women a chance to genuinely connect and find ways to work together and actually have fun. All female focused, but open to everybody. And then now in 2020, I was, I just thought about it pre-COVID. I was like, I think I want to make it a podcast or make it a digital show. So now I'm in the process of like, I went live with Lauren. I went live with you. I had Fun. incredible conversations with people, women that I love and admire. And now I'm like trying to that into content, like real important, engaging conversations with women to know. So, yeah. And you also have some merch available. Yeah, we got swag. We got swag. Love it. 
Corona masks, pop tops, so you can still summer without dying. So you can still, <laughs> you know, they'll be safe. Yeah. That is ideal. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Well, you are a delightful human being. I adore you. Thank you I for you. Um, talking about a lot of hard and funny things with me. I want to get more into the Italian parents at some point. Like we have to talk about how sometimes they just don't understand um our our business the way we function i mean my there was something you said when we were talking about therapy and like how weird italian culture can be about it my dad would whenever i would cry would always be like oh she's having one of her meltdowns i'm like no i'm actually <laughs> just fucking acting like a normal person would when they were in a heartbreaking experience yeah yeah all the time yeah you're like dad, you want a meltdown oh i'll show you I'll show a you. meltdown Oh, we can melt. Yeah, I will. Are you, are you kidding? You're going to the west over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's anytime. Oh, my, my mom is like that. My dad actually has more empathy with that. Grieving the loss of this connection or like this experience or whatever. And then she's like, ah, but Britt, you got to move on. You know, you got to like, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't going to help. Right. Just I'd love it. to. My yeah. mom is like overly empathetic where she'll actually like start crying when I'm sad. And then I end up consoling her and I'm like, this is not how this was supposed no. to go. And then my dad is like, all right, walk it off, walk it off. You're going to be fine. Let's walk it off. And yeah. I'm just like left in the middle of this. Like I actually had a problem of my own when this started and now I have both <laughs> your issues. I have a problem. Now I have three. I have you two and my shit at the same time. That's the Italian mother switcheroo. When yeah. everything you go through, they went through. Like they infuriating, yeah. infuriating. And my mom thought about that relationship. When you were in that relationship, it ruined my life. And I was like, "You're right. I'm sorry." You're right. I'm sorry. You're the Deepest one going through the apologies. Break. Yeah. What is there anything yeah. I could do for you? Yeah. Right. Mom, let me. Okay. Let's set up your dating app profiles because clearly you were in that relationship. Okay. All the time. Uh, yeah. Such a, like, I always think, like, these are such a specific set of issues. It's so yeah. specific. It is. It's so unique to this culture. And it's insane, too. Because, I mean, maybe it's like that. I'm sure it's like that in other communities and cultures. But it really is identical. Like, the Italian mothers and fathers have it word for word. They're reading a script. With yeah. Some of these yeah. Well, I'd like to see the manual because I'd like to debunk some of these things. So <laughs> if like we could get our hands on the Italian parent <laughs> manual so we can start to, like, rewrite some of it and redistribute, I think that would be great. That's our it's next like, creative mission. It's our next creative mission. It's like, do we do we just want to make a version two? Like a version 2.0? Should we edit right. some shit? Yeah. I mean, if Catholicism, since it's so interconnected to Italian culture, weirdly, is yeah. any indication, there's probably not going to be an update for at least a few hundred years. A few hundred years. Yeah, they're, we're going to think... It, we're not saying it's perfect. And in fact, it is very broken, but it still doesn't need to be fixed. It's, it's beautiful. Fine. It's beautiful. It's fine. It's like my mother, my mother on Christmas, she was putting out a manger in a nativity set last year and it was missing. Like, like we had baby Jesus. So we were good there, but I was missing everybody else. And I was like, mom, half, half the pieces are in here. He goes, it's fine. We're just putting it out. Cause it looks good. It's fine. You're going through the motions on this. Yeah. Uh, I love that so much. We have a nativity set in our dining room that stays up year round. Don't know why. Never been explained to me, actually. Uh, there's it. ceramic pieces in there and half of the shepherds are missing arms. Uh, I think baby Jesus is actually missing an arm too, which is rude. Like, why didn't someone just go and glue that back on? That's, That's our Lord and Savior. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take a picture of it and send it to you. And then when we post this podcast, I'm going to post it because the people need to know what we've been exposed to and why we are the way we are. People need to know, like, in the nativity scene is so old. Jesus has like, a, baby Jesus has grown up now. Like he's yeah. got a full beard. Yeah. A vape pen. Like he's like, he's so, it's been out. That's funny. We, we have the nativity set only at Christmas, but we have the dead grandparents. The photos of them are out all year long, all year. I'm like, mom, I get it. It's a little... Uh Clarify of them as dead people or alive. <laughs> thought about it, I'm sure. <laughs> no, it's like they're like weird, like homage paid to them. Oh. It's like on one hutch, and it's just everyone who's died in the family. Oh, and old picture frames, and you're like, what a sad table! Like, what a sad. 
You know, I think I like the idea, though. I feel like we could clean it up by like making it more of an altar. Maybe we put a candle there and we honor them. We have like a nice little scripture, a tarot card of Brittany to like be like, this is the next generation. But I don't want you to be on the dead table, though. I take that back. We won't put you on there. It's okay. It looks nice and dark. I'll write some jokes. It's fine. Uh, Well, I mean, and I think we need to clarify. I I speak for myself, but my parents are my favorite people in the entire world. They're my everything. And Mm -hmm. we only talk about them this way because we love them with every fiber of who we are. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, they are my very, very best friends. My They're very favorite people. Yeah. So people blessed. even the quarantine. They're like, how is it being home with your parents? Like, Listen, like all good Italian families, I'm being driven insane, but I, I love them. Like yeah. I'm, I'm really okay. I'm having a lot of fun. Like, Same. Yeah. That's what I yeah. say to my parents. I go, even when it's so hard, I'm so happy to be here. Like this has been the biggest blessing. I haven't lived at home this long since I was 18. Me too. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I moved out immediately, went to college and then to New York. So it's the longest I've been. And I really am taking advantage of it, you know, because yeah. I don't know the next time I'll really be able to do this. So yeah, they're, they're cool. They're cool cats. Yeah. Yeah. Cat call. Yeah. It yeah. all comes around. It all around, baby. Uh, well, I adore you. I adore your parents, even though I've never met them. And thank same. you for being so open and honest and hilarious. You're the best. Thank you for having me. You are the best. Thank you so much for listening and thanks to my guest, Brittany Brave. For more info on Brittany, follow her at Brittany Brave and follow her platform, We Are Cat Call at We Are Cat Call. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you liked what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Spotify. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media, especially on your story. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. This week, I'll be doing a creative check-in episode on Friday evening, so come back for that. And my wish for you this week is that you're able to use your creativity to get honest and work through a part of your life that is bringing you pain. It truly does have the ability to heal and in certain cases even save our lives. I think it's one of the greatest blessings that we're given as humans walking this earth. So use that creativity, baby. Thank you for listening. I love you and I believe in you and I'll talk with you on Friday.